Thank you for listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. I'm your host, Danny B. From all of us in the writing community, we just think you're amazing because you put your heart and soul into everything you talk about on this amazing show. The podcast has over 50,000 listeners every month. I love coming on your show and I love talking about it. Oh my God, I finally get to speak about it. Talk about all the things that I've been with by myself for so long. I mean, you provide that opportunity to so many of us and, you know, always are an amazing host. We chat about books, the writing process, and how literature has the power to change the world. But most of all, we have real conversations and we have a laugh. I'm feeling sick. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for being here and sharing the journey. Welcome to another episode of Words and Nerds, where we bring literary goodness straight to your ears. Today, I am interviewing Carla Fitzgerald, a writer, a recovered lawyer, and a mum of three from Sydney. She is the author of Picture Book, Keeping Up with the Dash Hounds, and a junior fic title, How to Be Prime Minister and Survive Grade 5. Welcome to the podcast, Carla. Thanks, Danny. Thank you for having me on. I'm very excited. <laughs> now, we've had been having a great chat about I don't even know what, but um, I feel like our chat's going to be even longer than the interview, but that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. We had a lot to get through. We did. A lot to blurt out, but now we're going to get down to business. Okay. So we're actually going to talk about two books, which is pretty impressive. A picture book, Keeping Up with the Dash Hounds, and How to Be Prime Minister and Survive Grade 5, which I've got in my hands now, and I just love this cover. I know this is a podcast and people can't see it, but you should Google it because actually I think it's one of the coolest covers this year. I really enjoy looking at it. Oh, yeah. Thanks, Danny. Yeah, I um, I love it too. Like mm. I, I, I just, yeah, couldn't stop staring at it. Yeah, they did a great job. True. Yeah. Mm, it's really cool. All right, so hit us up with an elevator pitch. First of all, for the picture book, Keeping Up with the Dash Hounds. Okay, so Keeping Up with the Dash Hounds is the story of a dog named Jet who is having trouble keeping up with the latest trends at the dog park as modelled by the always stylish Dash Hounds. Um, That is until she meets Buster who dances to the beat of his own drum. So it's a story about friendship, consumerism and the joy of being yourself. Mm, I love that. You know, I'm very passionate about leaning into being yourself and doing what Buster does. So it's very cool. Now, why Dash Hounds? I mean, the cover's amazing. (laughs) Everyone loves a Dash Hound. Sausage Dog, I used to call them. When I say used to, I still do. Um, So why Dash Hounds? Because they are such a cool dog. Yeah, I think that's it, Danny. They're just super cool, super fun. Um, And yeah, they, I think people who are dash hound owners, are they're very passionate about their, their dash hounds and um, they often style them in, you know, interesting ways, shall we say. Um, and it just worked with the title. Um, so, yeah, it became Keeping Up With The Dash Hounds. Mm, I love it. And it's obviously a parody to them and it can be read on its own um, as a standalone book, but it, it does have that little sort of undertone of being a parody of, of course, Keeping Up With The Kardashians. Yes. How did that come about? Um, look, that that was something that came um, from the publisher, from from Mary and James. Um, for me, it was it was always a story about a dog that was trying to keep up and trying to keep up with the latest trends. And it was, you know, it was almost an aha moment when um, I think James and Mary suggested, um, well, what about if they're, you know, 
they're trying to keep up with the styles like the the Kardashians might have. So, you know, the big hair, the fashion. Um, and then I could see it visually then. Um, so it was like the 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 rest of the puzzle sort of fell into place um, when the Kardashian element came in. And from two reality TV addicts to that came from, Mary and James. <laughs> yeah, so. I, I, I have to say it's one of my um, guilty pleasures. As oh, well, you so. too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah. Completely. Well, you all gelled. It was a match made in heaven, obviously. Yeah, <laughs> and you've actually been super lucky with your covers because that is just mm. the most stunning pink cover I think I've yeah, seen in a long time admit, too. It, it is. It's it. great. <laughs> There's actually been, I think, um, you know, in the last couple of years, a real resurgence of pink covers, and I, I just them. love them. I think they look amazing. Yeah, that's it. There's certainly um, my eye is always drawn to them. Yeah, in bookshops and yeah. Um, yeah, I love it, and I think. Um, I guess I was a little nervous, would it put boys off um, or parents of boys? Um, and it hasn't, it hasn't at all. So, um, yeah, that, that's been great. Yeah. And fingers crossed, you know, most of us are beyond that, I hope. Mm. <laughs> you know, I've, yeah, I've always encouraged, yeah, I've always encouraged my kids to read from the perspective of all different protagonists and it's not even a thing anymore, you know, no. it's like, well, this is a good book and it's a great story. Just read it. Like, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's Who's it, telling yeah. the story? So. Yeah, that's it. So no, that's been good. Yeah, awesome. Okay, so how to be a prime minister and survive grade five? Give us an elevator pitch for that book. Okay, how to be prime minister and survive grade five is the story of eleven-year-old Harper and what happens when her dad, who happens to be the prime minister, goes missing and she decides to take his place. So Harper um, suddenly has all this power and is torn between ideas. Should she ban plastic bottles or make weekends longer? Can she prove a kid can run the country better than a grown-up? Oh, please make the weekends longer. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Look, I'm I'm with you on that. <laughs> look, also the plastic, but the weekends just really sang to me. Um, <laughs> I really liked how uh, you just really captured this protagonist's voice. And I just want to read a bit because it's just like every kid, the way they describe their family, right? So she says, I heard the hum of the playground as we approached the school's entrance and felt a fluttering in my chest. My hat felt too big, my blazer too tight. Even the uniform seemed to know it was on the wrong person. Just like the wrong family was in the prime minister's residence. Mum wore weird hippie clothes. Dad said, excuse me, when we burped, like we liked watching funny clips of people tripping over. We wrestled over the remote and argued about whose turn it was to take out the bins. We were not meant to be the first family of Australia. That was just one of my favourite paragraphs because I thought it said so much about, you know, the character's voice, who they were, the family, that she didn't feel like she belonged, and then the expectations of someone in that role of Prime Minister. So I just thought that tiny little bit just said so much. How did well, you capture that you. voice? Yeah, thanks, Danny. Um, that's, um, yeah, that really means a lot because I, I felt it was important that Harper was um, a relatable character um, because, Otherwise, you know, she's just this privileged white girl who is in, you know, Kirribilli house. Like, how is that relatable to kids? Um, so I wanted it, um, I wanted to capture, you know, how kids might feel um, just being out of place generally. So whether it's because they've, you know, moved to a new house or had any sort of change in their family situation, um, 
I, yeah, I just really wanted to, to capture that. And for, um, for Harper's family to be ordinary as opposed to this, yeah, special mm. type family. But even as an adult, I related to that, you know, when you think everyone's kind of looking at you or you don't feel comfortable mm. in your own skin or you feel mm. like your clothes are wrong when, you know, we, we sort of spoke about this off air that yeah. people are so busy with their own lives, they're probably not even looking at you, but you feel you know, you feel that discomfort, you feel out of place. And it's really interesting how that for you can be really magnified. So I thought mm. even as an adult, I think we can relate to those feelings of, you know, feeling out of place or feeling, you know, not you know, out of your comfort zone, which is good sometimes, but mm. also uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And yeah, we, I mean, I certainly felt that at times as a kid and yeah, like you say, I, 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 I still feel like it now. So, um, yeah, I think there's certainly a lot of me in Harper. Um, you know, it, they're never exactly you, but, um, yeah, that was, I certainly drew, drew on some of my own experiences with that. Yeah, and the voice has to come from somewhere, you know, so I like yeah. that, you know, you tapped into that real human experience and not just the experience of someone in grade five. Like I think yeah. you even take that awkwardness into adulthood sometimes. Oh, that's it. We don't, yeah, we don't leave it at school, unfortunately. <laughs> unfortunately. <do> <laughs> so I know that this book was inspired by a conversation with your own child about why kids shouldn't rule the world. And I sort of thought to myself, you know, I've always thought, well, maybe they might do a better job because they're not clouded by all the politics stuff. They're just really enthusiastic about what's right. You know, I know my kids, they're really concerned about pollution and plastic and animals and, you know, saving the earth. And I think as an, as adults, sometimes we can unfortunately lose that because we get stuck in, you know, all other kinds of politics or things that, you know, are more pressing to us at the time. So what were you, what was your thought process um, about kids yeah. ruling the world? Yeah, well, I mean, exactly as, as you've said, Danny, he, my son that is, he, he had to do a speech about if kids ruled the world and he'd just never been so excited about any of his speeches to date. He was he was literally jumping up and down on the bed talking about some of his ideas. And yet some of them were, you know, outlandish, like, you know, free lollies from the canteen and slippery slides everywhere. But some were just like really insightful. And and as I listened to him, I was just really struck by um, the sincerity and the wisdom um, of, of him and, and his classmates. It was just, uh, it was sort of ideas without all the politics and the mm. other ways that adults complicate things. Yeah. Like and it's a shame um, to lose that. You know, I often mm -hmm. feel like that childhood imagination or that childhood passion and mm. we lose that, you know, because we think, oh, you know, I'm one person, I can't make a huge difference. Yeah. I've just got to do what I can in my little world. But, mm -hmm. you know, I often think that we need to take a little bit more from what kids think because, you know, they're really they're really discovering and thinking about their world and they're going to be the next generation. So maybe they can do a better job than yeah. our predecessors. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yes, I, I agree. I mean, yeah, everything you've said, I, I agree with. Yeah. Mm. No, I thought it was a really cool idea. And I think that's kind of every kid's fantasy about being the boss, you know, my kids, even, you know, that yes day and the yes day oh, movie. That movie uh, is the worst <laughs> movie ever made. <laughs> well, I've come to love theater. it because um, we watch it once a week in my house. Oh, really? Have you done <laughs> yes day? I do. I've always done yes days for their birthdays. 
Oh, okay. But it can't be ridiculous. So I've always said, you know, I've just got the rule of it can't be ridiculous. Okay. So okay. usually that's it's like, rule. yeah, and that's up to me whether it's ridiculous or not. <laughs> and so usually it'll be like, you know, something they want for breakfast and something they want for dinner and something they want to do during the day. So yeah. it's been pretty tame so far. Okay, so. that's quite restrained of them. Yeah. yeah. My, my kids saw the movie and then they, yeah, they wanted a yes day. And I'm like, every day is a yes day. <laughs> Not really, but it feels like that. Um, well, my, my son said to me, Grandma says, okay, you say no, okay. Oh. <laughs> A grandma's house is always oh, a different house. place, isn't it? Right. And I'm actually thinking what you were saying about your son. I'm like, I think we can do the serious stuff and we can save the earth and the animals mm. and do better with recycling, but I think we can also have free lollies, slippery sides and longer weekends. Well, and that's what All I was trying. Yeah, that's what I was trying to balance in the mm. novel because, um, and and that's why um, Harper's sort of in the middle, and then her sister Lottie is on one side. She's got all the sort of the big ideas about, um, you know, uh, saving the environment and action on climate change, and then um, her other friend Theo, he's a bit more in the moment about, yeah, let's just you know lollies and longer holidays and. I didn't want to say that one was better than the other or, and especially for kids, you know, I wanted it to be um, a fun novel, but in with the wish fulfillment, I also wanted to reflect the fact that, you know, a lot of kids do want to, you know, see serious change and, um, you know, with power comes enormous responsibility. So I was always trying to balance that mm. in the novel, um, those those two, um, yeah, the fun and, and the more serious. Yeah, um, I, like, I liked the hapless dad, you know, he becomes <laughs> prime minister, he's terrible at it, he was thrust into the top job after a heroic boogie board rescue of two kids from a shark attack. But surviving government is proving pretty hard, so I like <laughs> the character of, you know, the, the guy that just can't, can't do it and isn't right for that job. I think that's pretty yeah. Yeah, yeah. I had a lot of um, a lot of fun with Dad. Like initially, he was um, just you know completely hopeless, and he was you know <laughs> unredeemable basically. Um, but yeah, I worked with my editors a bit to, um, I guess he's he still had to be someone that um, could um, conceivably still come back and run the country and and be someone that Harper loved. And yeah, and he was totally likable in his. <laughs> Um, what do I want to say? Yeah, his um, <laughs> inability to lead a country, but who can lead? Leading country's hard, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, every, every time we have a leader, we always criticize them. So you know, we don't think yeah. anyone can do a good job at it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I did actually, you know, it is a tough job, and obviously, but I, I watched a lot of footage of um, leaders um, when they came to office and or their victory speeches on election nights and I'd watch their children and I just thought a lot about how the families felt um, when their lives were changing like that and there is um, like uh, Chelsea Clinton I think has a lot to say about it and because um, it's not their choice is it and all of a sudden they're right. the most famous yeah. child in the world just about yeah, yeah, particularly if it's a US um, presidency you know exactly yeah so and I think um I think a lot of kids can relate to something that's not their choice um, happening mm. to them. So whether yeah, it's, um, you know, moving house or um, family separation, family separation. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, you know, I remember 
as a kid feeling like, oh, I can't wait to grow up so I can just, you know, do my own thing and, you know, eat all the lollies I want and, yeah, not be sort of told what to do. And, yeah, so I was, um, yeah, I did tap into that hopefully. Mm. And now we're like, don't grow up, kids. Being an adult is not all it's cracked up to be. (laughs) Really? Being a kid is awesome. (laughs) Stay on the blanket, stay on the the lounge with your calming blanket with your switch. (laughs) forever seriously adulting thing is pretty hard absolutely and i I, and i always say that to me so yeah like if you want to take over for the day be my guest (laughs) now two books in one year different publishers different genres tell me Mm. about your publishing journey and how you managed to pull that off Yes. Um, well, I didn't space it very well, did I? I'll probably space it beautifully. Well, uh, except that I'll probably have none for the next few years. <laughs> it's like double debut author. You know, apparently I learned this from Matthew Ryan Davies that you can be a debut author for different genres. Ah. You're like a double debut. Oh, okay. So I could be a, a debut adult. Y- YA next. YA, of course. But then it goes yes. into genres as well. Then you could do crime, oh, romance. Okay. Yeah. Literally high literary so you could just continually be a debut author forever yeah good to know good to know (laughs) um yeah but it was I mean 2020 for most people was um a terrible year (laughs) um but for me it was um a breakthrough year um it, it was also terrible in some way with with COVID but um yeah so I um I submitted uh keeping up with the Dash Hounds to James at Larrikin for an assessment. And um, that was in late 20, that was about September, 2020. And then um, it took a little, he liked it, but it wasn't quite there. We um, we worked on it back and forth. And then, yeah, I think um, I got the contract for that around November that year. Um, and then around that time, it was quite late in the year, um, I pitched um, how to be prime minister to uh, Claire Hume at UQP. And that was at an ASA um, speed dating is it speed dating? Yeah, something like, <laughs> like getting that, that all wrong. Yeah, yeah. No, I think it sounded right to me. <laughs> Literary dating, maybe. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, event, and that actually happened. Yeah, super quickly, and then, yeah. So then, twenty twenty one was you know lots of edits and um, trying to do structural edits um, with kids at home from <laughs> school and kindy. Um, and now 2022, I guess I'm, I'm debut picture book and middle grade. Mm, <laughs> how cool is that? It's yeah, very it's, exciting. It's, it is. It's amazing. And mm. uh, yeah, I feel very fortunate. And so what is next? Some crime thriller or? Well, <laughs> <laughs> YA, <YA-A>, apparently. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I'm always like yourself. I know, Danny, like I'm always working on different things. Um, I've got another middle grade um novel I'm working on lots of picture books um yeah so I'll just uh yeah you just gotta keep working because you don't know what's gonna get picked up what's gonna be perceived as good that's right how do you know you don't you just gotta keep writing and submitting and some will hit the mark others won't exactly yeah (laughs) yeah that's right and um and as you know like this book promotion takes a lot of a lot of time and so I'm actually missing 
some of the actual writing and um I'm looking forward to getting getting back into that um a bit more but yeah yeah yeah. it's interesting space because writing is often a solitary process Mm. and then all of a sudden your book comes out and you're speaking (laughs) to everyone about it I mean you know I'm I'm sort of used to that on the other side with the podcast Mm -hmm. but then it's Mm -hmm. weird being on the other side and, and writing I know for me is that you know, in the cracks of, um, like I do prioritise it, but with two mm. children and all the other things that I do, you do have to really just find any time you can to write. Mm. And, you know, often they're those quiet times when no one's around or the kids are mm. asleep or, you know, something like that. And then all of a sudden it um, it goes from one extreme to the other. So it's an interesting, um, it's an interesting process, I think, writing. It is, it is. And it's a, it's a weird sort of life (laughs) Um, yeah I mean at the moment I feel like a writer who doesn't write (laughs) Um, we all feel a bit like that (laughs) yeah yeah um but yeah it's other times yeah I'll be completely absorbed in something and I'll I'll feel like oh and I need to connect with the with people in the community the kidlit community and yeah so it's but it's a nice sort of balance in a way as well like I uh, because I'm I'm starting to go to more book launches and I know more people in the industry, I, I kind of think that's a nice balance of, yes, you spend a lot of time in front of the computer, but, yeah, you get to go out and, and connect with the tribe. And, yeah. yeah so and just I, talking to, you know, people from the kidlit community, mm. I feel like not only do you learn so much, but it's that shared experience of you, know, you just don't know what's going to happen next. And the uncertainty mm. is is both terrifying and upsetting and Mm. you know gives you self-doubt but it's also obviously the most rewarding because when something does get picked up or a publisher does like something you do get a contract like Mm. oh you know amazing because the other hundred stories I've written are sitting on my desktop (laughs) (laughs) it's it's so true and I think um that's only something that people in the industry understand so um you know you can say to your other friends or like you know I'm I got a contract or something and like they're happy for you like that's that's great but like no one understands actually how hard that is Mm. unless they're you know doing the same thing um and then they think if you've got one contract well you always gotta have a next one again that's that's not true that's it no that's (laughs) that's exactly right I mean if I had a dollar for every time people said oh you could be the next you know jk rowling you know that's that seems to be and retire on your two debut books i mean let's do that (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah so yeah it's just for the kidlit community (laughs) yeah no they are they're wildly supportive and encouraging you know Mm. particularly to new people and debut authors yeah um you know you can't even match the encouragement from everyone because i think and i think there's not that jealousy or resentment in in the industry because everyone knows how hard it is mm. and so when you get a contract and when you get your own book in your hand everyone's cheering you know yeah. and and we're cheering for them because we know how bloody hard it is and how long that's taken like sometimes books can be started two three four five years before they actually yeah. eventuate into a book sometimes they never will eventuate into a yeah. book so I think yeah. we all know how hard it is and so when anyone's got anything you know yeah. that that's coming out or released we're you know standing ovation because we know just how hard it is to get to that point yeah absolutely and I've I've been overwhelmed at the moment um just how supportive um people are when you do when your book actually comes out yeah Um, I've seen your book being held by so many people I know and like Oliver Pomervan was holding it the other day yeah and just just the you know that's just so generous Mm. um of these people um 
yeah, really um, well-established authors who, you know, really gain nothing themselves mm. by doing that, um, as well as, yeah, other other people, reviewers. I just, I'm yeah, sorry, now I'm just babbling. No, but, but it's I'm true. <laughs> it's, it's yeah, you're, you're overwhelmed that people, you know, take the time. And, yeah. you know, people say that to me as well, but I find all these conversations, you know, really interesting and I learn a lot too you know so it's it goes both ways yeah yeah so final question Carla why do you write oh see I knew this was coming oh she's prepared me an answer (laughs) no I was about to say I knew it was coming and I still don't have a good good. no no (laughs) because the answers come when you're under pressure yeah see I'm just always so impressed by other authors and they have these really insightful answers to this question I've been (laughs) thinking about it and you know I think you know my my instinct is to give you the really practical reasons that you know it aligns with my skills and it works with my other commitments and I enjoy it most of the time but there is something else and I think and this is what the question is really about. There's there's just this magical quality about writing that's hard to articulate, but it makes it compels me to write and it makes me feel tense when I haven't written. So to answer the question, I think it's it's the magical quality mm. is the reason that I write and, and mm. keep writing. Yeah, no, and that's so true. And I love that whenever I ask anyone that question I'll always get two answers I'll get the first one which is oh because I like it because I'm good at it and I enjoy it and then I'll just you know let them talk and then they'll come to this other sort of conclusion that's when I'll start talking about that kind of magic or you know the compulsion to write or how it makes them see the world differently Mm. so it's really interesting when you just you know dig a bit deeper into that question and the answers you get tricky as you want (laughs) (laughs) gotta think of a new one though now because everyone expects that question oh okay well I'm glad you didn't spring a new one on me (laughs) well look I don't I I quite like that question because I find all the answers really interesting so I think I'll be hard pressed to find a find a question that's you know gets as interesting questions yeah no I think you should keep that one one (laughs) and then when I have repeat guests I'm like so why do you keep writing yeah (laughs) why do we do this to ourselves yeah good question sometimes Well, thank you so much. I've had such a nice chat with you as we always do. Um, But, you know, congratulations on two books, being a double debut author in 2022. It's super cool. Um, You know, I love when I see your book on socials as well, because I know what it's like to be, you know, that debut person thinking, you know, are people going to like what I've got? Are people even going to pay attention? You know, is is my publisher wrong? Is it the worst thing that's ever been written? That's just yes, my thoughts. You, I don't know if that's yours. No, you're in my head. You're in my head right now. <laughs> so, and thanks, yeah, so Annie. it's lovely um, to have this chat and see you with both of these books. I was actually super excited when I, I was at um, the ABA Booksellers, the Australian Booksellers Association um, conference, and I saw this book for the first time, and I think I did a little squeal. I was like, oh, this is cool. Oh, Annie, I know, and, and I think when you sent it to me, it was the first time I'd seen it out in the world. So, yeah, that was uh, that was amazing. And thank you for all your support. I really, yeah, uh, can't thank you enough, and I can't wait for my extraordinary mum to come out as well. Ooh, it's an exciting year, and I'm sure there'll be many more chats like this. So thank you so much for your time today. Thanks, Danny.